church. My name is Adrian, and today's Bible readings will come from Ecclesiastes 2 verses 4 to 11 and 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 10. While you turn to that passage in Ecclesiastes, just wanted to share with you that in this ancient writing about wisdom, the teacher engaged in pursuit of wisdom and meaning in all areas of life apart from God. This is the account of searching for meaning and purpose in his work. We begin reading in Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Please turn with me to 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it was in his final year as an undergraduate at medical school that John had the hard word pressed on him by the university Christian workers. Don't you want to engage in work that really lasts, John? John, don't you want to get involved in, in work that doesn't just heal bodies but saves souls? John, would you take up the call to deny your vocational training and become a Christian minister? John was so sad. John, all his life had dreamed of becoming a doctor and now he was only six months away. And besides, he didn't really want to become a Christian minister, nor did he think he had the gifts for it. But in saying no to this 
request to give all of his life in service to God, John unwittingly then spent the rest of his working life thinking that he was working in a second-rate vocation. He never really gave that much time to stopping and thinking about how his work was an, an opportunity to worship God, to serve others, to proclaim Christ. He just tried to find Christian medical practices where he could work. He, he worked hard to pay the bills, to provide for the family. He, you know, he, he, he set about setting a good example in his workplace. He'd give to church, but never felt like he could give quite enough in comparison to giving his whole life to God in ministry. The only ministry John thought he did was, was every fourth Sunday of the month when he would play the keys in the church band or, or come and take his part in Bible study. Apart from his work, John spent his weekends chasing the family and collapsing exhausted on the couch from all the work that he did. Friends, we can do better than John. I'm not saying that we can send more people into Christian ministry. No, I'm saying that we can see every and any vocation that we work in as an opportunity for Christian ministry, an opportunity for us to worship God, to love others, and to proclaim Christ. Friends, today is a great day because today is a day when we want every Christian member of our church to become a theologian of your workplace. We want to think clearly and, and, and well about how we spend those best waking hours, 40 to 60 waking hours of our week, thinking about why we do what we do, what we do what we do, what we should work for, what, what work is not meant to be. We want to think about how to rest and work in service and honour of God. So today is a great day as God speaks to us in our Meant to Be series about work and rest. Before we launch right in, I have to say that my thinking on this topic has been hugely shaped by my Bible college lecturer, Andrew Cameron. He's written this book, The Joined Up Life. It's a book about how to think biblically about all areas of life and ethics, exploring all the topics we've thought through in our Meant to Be series and more. It's hugely recommended. But let's dive in and think firstly about what the Bible says about who works. Well, perhaps you're not of working age. Let me speak to those who don't work at the moment. Perhaps you're not of working age unless you're Sam Dale with his Gurney to You business, the most entrepreneurial Gurney business on the North Shore. Or maybe you're unable to find work. Or perhaps uh, you can't work because of disability or illness. Or perhaps your working days are behind you. Well, the way that the Bible defines work is that it actually doesn't matter if you are paid for your work. You don't need a, a job title or reimbursement or a boss to be a worker in God's purposes. So I think of Norman, a member of our church who is currently unemployed, but Norman is definitely a worker. Norman works in his home, loving his parents, caring for the garden. Norman works at our church. He's got time, so he comes to the 8 a.m. service and he comes to the 7 p.m. service. Norman worked at our Alpha course, serving, helping in the kitchen and sitting on a table, encouraging other guests. Norman works in the world as a scripture teacher, teaching children from non-Christian homes about Jesus. Norman is a great worker. 
He just currently isn't employed in, in that way at the moment. Our God, our God is a worker. And every single human being, whether you are young, old, employed, unemployed, retired, sick or able-bodied, we are all created to be workers, invited by God to join in his work of cultivating his creation, of creating communities of love and care, and of shining and sharing Jesus to our watching world. But before we get too far into what work is, we need to just unpack quickly what work is not meant to be. For the second point, what work is not meant to be. When we get to the Bible's thinking about what work is, we need to recognise that we are already a long way downstream in our thinking about work as shaped by the world that we've grown up in. It's just the air that we breathe. And we've, be, we've kind of grown up in this culture that tells us to dream of becoming someone, of providing comfortable livings for our family, of, of making a great name for ourselves. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. People have been working for all sorts of wrong reasons for many thousands of years. And in the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes, uh, the teacher goes on an exploration of finding meaning and purpose outside of God, that is, under the sun, as he calls it. So let's look at what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 4. And he tells us about what work is not meant to be. Firstly, work is not meant to be a means to fuel consumption. Verse 4, take a look at what this guy got from his work. I undertook great projects. I built many houses for myself. I had a, a holiday home in the Hunter Valley. Uh, he, he bought male and female slaves. He had a workforce, verse 7, working for him. He piled up, verse 8, silver and gold for himself. He became like a king. This man got everything his heart could dream of. Secondly, work is not meant to be a means to make a name for yourself. Verse 9, I became greater greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. This guy was not just a big deal in Jerusalem. He was the greatest of all time. And I wonder who the big names that you think that you want to aspire to be like are. The Richard Bransons, the Gail Kellys, the Mia Friedmans, or the Atlassian guys. Work, thirdly, is not meant to be a means of self-fulfillment. Verse 10, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I had it. I had the money. I could go out. I could get it. Anything I wanted I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work. The highs were really high. But just imagine, just imagine the day after you retire. You return to the office because you forgot a few things in the drawer of your desk. Uh, Just the the lunchtime before, you'd had your retirement lunch and the CEO had had given a rousing address about the impact you've made on the culture and the, the, the revenue of the business. He'd celebrated your 26 years of giving your life to this company. And today you walk in and discover the administrator archiving all your files, shredding your work dossiers, and you find that your replacement has organised sweeping reforms 
of the kind of things that you spent your life devoting yourself to. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing had been gained under the sun. If you've been working to fuel your consumption, if you've been working to make a name for yourself or working to find true, lasting fulfilment, well, today, God calls you to a better way to work. Yes, it is okay to consume. Yes, if you do your job well, you will be respected. Yes, if you, if you enjoy your work, it will be fulfilling and satisfying, and that is a great thing. But these are not the main reasons we were meant to work. So what is work meant to be? Our third big point. There's three significant scriptural commands that we're going to use as we explore what work is meant to be. The first of them is about creation. We work in the work of creation. As we have every week in our series of meant to be, we've gone back, cast our mind back to the beginning, to God's purposes in creating the world. When God created human beings, he created us in Genesis 1 and 2 to work. And then he gave us what can be summed up in, in, uh, in the words of the creation mandate. It's here on your screen, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then again in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It can be summed up in the words, we have been created to subdue, order and reorder the earth. After God finished his work of creation and rest, he didn't just pack up his tools like a builder and walk off the site. No, he continues to work out his creating purposes in and through you, his creations. We are co-workers with him in his creating work, his unfolding creating work. We're all engaged in this work. So the chef, the artist, the musician, they take the stuff of creation and they work their own masterpiece to delight the taste buds and the sight and the, and the sound, the hearing. The hairdressers, haven't we missed them? They're getting ready to reorder the disorder that is going on in all of our heads at the moment. Or the teacher, the teacher teaches children to marvel at the orderliness of creation as they teach mathematics, teaches the children to marvel at the, the opportunities or the, uh, the potential of creation as they experiment in science, or the complexity of creation as they try to teach English grammar. English grammar has been really undoing the Yorston family homeschool at the moment. It's a very difficult discipline for me as a homeschooling parent. God delights he delights to watch you work with the stuff of creation. So the stay-at-home mother who is a worker and is working to order her home, working to, uh, to, to bless her children and to, to help them grow up in fear and wonder of the world, she works with the stuff of creation, the salt, the flour, the water and the food dye to create the perfect bright blue Play-Doh for her son, to play with. 
And she delights to watch as her child rolls and bends and flexes and and makes snakes and cookie-cutter shapes. And that is the joy that God our Heavenly Father has as he watches you play in his creation, work with his stuff, create in his creation. But God doesn't need the stuff that you create, but your neighbour does, don't they? So Martin Luther, he said that uh, we work in creation as a mask for God. He said that God the Lord gives us each day our daily bread by the hands of the baker. So this feeds into our second type of work, and that is our second point, the work uh, we work to create communities of care. We work to create and maintain communities of care between God and people. Our thinking here is shaped by the greatest commandment. The religious leaders of Jesus' day came to him and they, they questioned him on which was the greatest commandment. He responded in these words on your screen. The greatest commandment, Jesus replied, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's pretty obvious how some occupations are a direct application of this. So praise God for our doctors and nurses, because it's by their hands that our sick and flailing bodies are healed, mended, restored and maintained. So when I pray for someone who's sick, I don't pray that God would heal them outside of the help of medical intervention. No, I I pray that God would bless the hands of the doctors with skill and insight into people's conditions. I pray that the medications would take effect, that the patient would undertake the the healing and restoring and the the planned program of recovery that they need to undergo. What a kindness of God to give us a community of medical people who can care for us and love us, right through from the political policymakers down through to the hospital security staff. Some work, however, is less obvious in how it plays its part in creating communities of care. So you're a a funds manager and you're sort of pondering how you can make any difference to this world. You've been spending a morning on Zoom. You've got screen rage building up inside your spirit. And you decide, I'm going to go for a walk to Cremorne Point. And so you set out on your walk. And as you're walking along, you spot a grandparent from church playing with their grandchild, showing them the flowers and teaching them to wonder and celebrate the goodness of God. You think to yourself, maybe my work can improve the life of people like that. And so you begin to smile. And you smile at the people that you're walking past, except that they can't recognise it because your face is covered in a face mask that people have created to try and create a community that cares for each other and won't spread coronavirus. And then you get out to Cremorne Point and the unthinkable happens. You need to use the public bathroom. Your nostrils are still scarred by the memories of, of that primary school public toilet and its stench. But, but as you go in there, you discover that the toilet's just been cleaned that day. And because of the architectural design of the toilet, there's a natural airflow and it doesn't smell that bad. And then you look down and some clever engineer has created this toilet paper dispenser that actually works and keeps the toilet paper. And you come out refreshed and not that scarred. 
You, you return to your work and you have been blessed by the work of council coordinators, by architectural engineers, by cleaners, by mask manufacturers, by gardeners. You've realised that even people working in finance can make a positive difference to the communities that they live in. Well, if work is meant to be an engagement in the work of creation and in building communities of care, then we're beginning to develop a framework, aren't we, for assessing what is really good work and what is bad work. So bad work, for example, would be work that destroys or disorders God's creation. If your work is involved in polluting or misusing the resources of the world, then maybe that's bad work. Or if your work destroys and tears apart communities, that is bad work. So a Christian cannot work in organised crime, in pornography, in gambling, or in, in a workplace that intentionally misleads its consumers to make a profit. If your work is just all toil and no meaning, well, maybe you're just suffering because of the lockdown and working from home, or maybe you're suffering as a result of the specialisation of work that took place because of the Industrial Revolution. So these days, it is possible to work in a work that is so far removed from creation and community that you could spend a whole day at a spreadsheet and not feel like you have any connection with others. This is not very good, but it's not necessarily bad. Our missionary in training, Naldi Ramos, uh, is preparing to return to her home country of Peru. She reminded our staff team this week of the incredible privilege it is just to have work. In a country where we enjoy such low unemployment rates of 4.9%, we sometimes forget what a privilege it is just to be able to provide work and a living. So if your job is not evil, we should think very carefully before we plan to leave it. But if your work is wrong, what should you do? Well, when it comes to ethical situations like this, the Christian is to think from the best possible situation and work outwards. So if our workplace is wrong, we can do three things. We can work to, uh, to um, sub subvert our workplace. We could work to expose our workplace or we could leave our workplace. Let me explain what I mean. To subvert your workplace would mean that uh, that you work from the inside out to try and bring about good in your workplace. So if your workplace is using materials that are unethically sourced from the third world, you could go to your boss and say, hey, boss, I'm not comfortable with where we're getting our fabrics from, and I wondered if you'd free me up to maybe investigate more ethical supply chains. We could work to expose our workplace. That doesn't mean you sort of forward work dossiers onto the ABC and hope that Four Corners comes in. No, it means that you apply the Jesus principle of confronting face-to-face -face those who are doing wrong. So you go to the boss and you say, hey, boss, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with the, the way that our terms and conditions are actually compromising our, 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 contract, our clients and their confidence in us. And, uh, and if you're boss won't listen, then as Jesus said, you take two or three with you who might also feel uncomfortable and you see if you can confront the wrong. Once you've escalated things as far as possible, you might need to adopt a third approach and you might need to leave that workplace. 
So there was a Christian teacher and he was really struggling with the toxic environment in the school staff room. Teachers would come along and and they would gossip, they would whinge about the syllabus and the system, they would make jokes at the expenses of the students. And so he thought, I'm going to try and subvert this culture. So every morning on his way to work, he would read the opinion uh, section of the newspaper. And he resolved to be the first one into the staff room. He'd get to the staff room, open out the newspaper, the opinion sections, and he would try and guide and direct discussion and, and turn it towards his Christian opinion on these, on these topics, on current affairs. On Tuesdays, however, he was out on playground duty each Tuesday. And another member of staff started to come and walk around with him on playground duty. One day he asked why. The other staff member said, that staff room is just not worth being in when you're not there. Friends, there's a lot of good that we can all do as Christians in our workplace. That brings us to our third point about what work is meant to be. Work is meant to be the work we work in the work of Christ. This work is the work of bringing people into fellowship with God. So Jesus had a work. He was a carpenter. But he left that work to focus on this work of preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And after he'd brought that kingdom in, he turned that work over to you and I in the words of the Great Commission. That's our third verse of the day, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So on Thursday just gone, we hosted a Raising Gospel Workers Night where we tried to, uh, to, to convince, to persuade some members of our church to leave their secular vocation and work full-time in this work of Christ. We're not saying that the work that they normally do is not work that they can serve Jesus Christ in, nor are we saying that this work of working in Christian ministry is more important What we are saying is that that work, the work of Christ, is urgent. That only Christians will do it. That every Christian is engaged in the work of shining for and sharing Jesus. But some Christians should do less of the creation and the community work and focus more on that work of Christ. But it is a work that everyone is meant to engage in. So in the church in the 1500s, there was a real divide between those who did the work of Christ, the priests, and those who did the work of the world, the lay people. So the Protestant reformers had a beef with this, and they began teaching about the priesthood of all believers, the biblical idea that every single Christian is a priest. And what is it that a priest is responsible for doing? Priests offer sacrifices to God, and priests stand as mediators between God and people. And that is what every single Christian who is a priest in the house of God is invited to do in their work life, to offer up their life as a living sacrifice to God, to offer their work as an avenue of service for him, and then to stand between God and people, to mediate God's goodness, to to show God in their work life. Imagine this. There are 980 adult members of our church. That's 980 
priests walking around, well, zooming around at the moment, shining for Jesus and sharing him in their life. What an incredible reach that God has given the priesthood of the Bridge Church. Now, I'm a Christian minister, and I hope that you expect of me that every day in my work, I need to read the Bible and I need to pray to do my work well. And I have the same expectation of you as a priest, that you need God's word to prepare you for the work that he wants you to do, that you need to depend on him in prayer as you go out and represent him in your workplace. Let's finish this section with a little confession from me, and that is that I actually have no idea what it's like to be a Christian lawyer, Christian psychologist, Christian teacher, Christian actress. I don't have any idea about these things. I have worked my whole life in vocational Christian ministry in schools or churches, but God has given us many wonderful brothers and sisters who have thought about these things. Their faces are up on the screen now, and you can see that they have shared their testimonies in little five-minute increments. We would love you to check those out. They're going to be a playlist on our YouTube channel. And after this sermon, a link's going to come through that you can see that. And if you're a member of the Bridge Church, we're going to send you an email on, uh, uh, on Monday giving you a, a list, a summary of all the people and the occupations that they have thought through how they serve Jesus in their workplace. Well, let me conclude with a final word on rest. God has given rest to us as a wonderful gift to, create, uh, to, to correct wrong attitudes towards work and to cultivate and strengthen those right means for why we do our work. So if we're someone who works to fuel our consumption, then rest is just this tiny little window that never feels long enough to binge on everything you can get. If work is a means to make a name for yourself, then rest is so hard to do because someone else might get ahead. You're not progressing or or moving your name forward. If work is a means to find personal fulfilment, then rest is the day on which you feel least yourself. But God has so much better for you, friends. God has better plans. Your day of rest should be a day upon which you come most fully alive. So if you're someone who works in the work of creation, then rest is God's gift to you to enjoy the rhythms and the routines of creation. God made the world in six days, rested on the seventh. That is part of his created fabric of this world. And it is good for you to get into it and enjoy it. If we work to create communities of care, then rest is this opportunity to enjoy and delight in the relationships that God has given us, in the work of other people in creating community spaces. If we work in the work of Christ, then rest is a day to recognise our own personal need for Christ. It's a day in which we come together and, and reshape and reframe our mindset so we think about our work in a way that pleases Christ. And we we remind one another that we are headed for a better rest, an eternal, everlasting rest. And we're going to work hard to make and take everyone we can with us into that everlasting hope and promise. So now it's over to you. Time for you to ponder how you can work 
in a way that pleases and serves your God and King, to become a theologian of your workplace who thinks about how you can play with the stuff of creation to please your Father in heaven, to work out how you can use your work to create and maintain communities of love and care, and to to think about how your work is an avenue for you to shine for Jesus and to share him with everyone you come across. Friends, I'm going to pray for you as you go into this week, pondering how God can use you in your work to glorify and serve him as a priest in the house of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you work and you rest, and you have shared these good gifts with us. By your Holy Spirit and through your word, please guide and direct us as we think through and discuss with one another how our work is an opportunity to worship you, to bless others, and to share and shine for Jesus. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Saviour, our King, we pray. Amen.